people blue we have a special guest tell us about him oh yeah um he is the reigning the defending no but it is uh andrew alex the former radio host of the drive and espn blacksburg and now amazingly successful business mogul in the growing state of north carolina he's back i i think you left out 2019 blacksburg area dart league champion and runner-up to mvp second place finisher for the league you didn't you didn't put any of that on your linkedin so i didn't have any any resources to go off of with the dart stuff so i'm gonna put that one on you there was a time where that was on my resume because i simply (laughs) didn't have enough accomplishments (laughs) to fill out the entire page i listed myself as senior advisor to the president of my fraternity It basically meant I just sat around on the couch drinking beer. It narrowly they made all the important decisions. It narrowly beat out like (laughs) volunteering for like Habitat for Humanity and the United (laughs) Way. Just narrowly, narrowly beat it out. I won best school spirit in my high school yearbook, and that was on the resume. But (laughs) you get a job and you gotta work all the time. Oh my! You know, God. life was... comes at you fast, but it's been a long summer. You know, it's been a long summer. I've been able to, uh, you know, travel a lot for uh, for business and uh, you know, also for pleasure, of course. Yeah, you were in my neck of the woods last week. I was Stumpy Lake Golf Course. They call it the uh, the house that Ricky LeBlue built. Shit! I, I, I asked the guy I on the front desk, so. "Do you know Ricky?" He goes, "Do I know Ricky?" <laughs> me and my 40 i have to my... fish his driver out of the uh the pond every three weeks <laughs> me and my 47 on the back there i actually played a uh, nine hole scramble today at another course uh after work and we were minus three so not bad not bad at all not to toot my own horn but i'm pretty terrible at golf and i've always been bad i've gotten to levels of decency i've played a couple good rounds in my life but this summer i've been playing awful because at least in blacksburg i was playing all the time i had no sense of direction but at least i was trying That's now the thing, I'm, man the more often you play you can get away you, you learn to how to like self-correct on on some of that stuff not all of us can be mike mcdaniel but at least we can advance the ball down the fairway noted yeah. noted 12 handicap Mike McDaniel. Noted former <laughs> Virginia Tech club golfer. That's right? correct. That is correct. You yes. were on the club golf team? I was team? on the club golf team at Tech. That's yep, sick. That's correct. That sounds like the club sport to play. All four years. It was and sick. I was on the club bowling team. Which one is, is more nerdy? Who drank more? Uh, that's Me. a good question. <laughs> Andrew. <laughs> Andrew. Yeah, he put that on his resume. Remember, he was a senior advisor. <laughs> but, uh, in all seriousness, though, it is good to have you back, Andrew. It is. And we've got, what, like 11 days? I saw 10. Game one. 10, 11. 10, it's 11, whatever. Are you counting like today that. or not? Are you counting today or not? It's the question. Well, I mean, I guess this is going to come out tomorrow, which will be the 24th. So it's 10, right? Yeah. Yeah. 10, so, including, 10 including tomorrow. 
So either way, days, either way, it's like it's here. It's it time. is. It's here. It is. Football is here. Week zero. Um, even if the Pac-12 won't be very soon, we're going to touch on that a little bit later. Um, but we got some big news today, which was uh, somewhat annoyingly announced on a NIL like subscription live stream. Get used to it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, no doubt. Grant Wells is your starting quarterback for week one of Virginia Tech. And Mike, I think you and I would both agree that the first person to talk about this should be Andrew Alex. Yes. Go. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I'm sure that, uh, you know, our listener base probably was not hoping like back in December when drones announced that he was coming here, that this would end up being the case. Uh, you know, I, I have I have mixed feelings, you know, about Grant Wells, right? I mean, obviously, last year you had fans when he was coming from Marshall, like, oh, he's going to be an absolute stud. He's going to, you know, Grant Wells for Heisman. You know, you, we actually, if you put Grant Who the Wells hell said that <laughs> an, enough goofballs on Twitter, that if you put Grant Wells into Chat GPT or something like that. And ask for his bio, it will pull that he was a candidate for the Heisman oh, Trophy. Yeah. Oh my God. That made its way back around Twitter kind of recently, like within the last couple of weeks, I saw that. Uh, yeah. Well, no, it, it's because, you know, modern day journalism, you know, you, some website has an article who is Grant Wells for when you Google Grant Wells. And obviously no one wrote it, it was Chat GPT. <laughs> so, yeah, that ends up on there. So maybe he was. Uh, but, but if my memories are correct it was obviously uh, one of the least compelling performances that we've seen from Virginia Tech starting quarterback in a really long time now you can take a couple of things away from it right like obviously like as a quarterback you're only as good as what's around you and you had an offensive line last year that regressed in a significant way there was not good play along the offensive line uh, you had a team that was like overly penalized time after time. It, it seemed like oftentimes when Virginia Tech found themselves in passing situations, it was because, number one, they weren't setting up the run very well. I mean, the offense was so bad historically, we could touch on everything. But number two, you know, penalties pile up and you're just end long all the time. Everyone knows that you're throwing the ball, you have no time to do it, and you're throwing it to receivers that aren't getting any separation. It's going to make you look pretty bad. So I don't want to lay everything that happened last season on the shoulders of Grant Wells. We saw what Brennan Armstrong looked like with UVA. And then what happened when his coach left all the talent on the offensive line and on the outside left, suddenly he didn't look so good anymore. And by the way, I predict that this year he's going to look pretty darn good playing for NC state. It's going to look a lot. I, I don't think Brennan Armstrong just got significantly worse. Now, I'm not saying that Grant Wells is going to be Brennan Armstrong, you know, in his best season at UVA. That would be a huge victory for Virginia Tech if he somehow was. But is the question, is he great? No. The question is, is he the best quarterback on the roster? Brett Pry and the staff have a job, and that's to put the team in the best position to win. It might not necessarily be a rag on Kyron Drones. We know he is a big physical kid 
who has a lot of potential. And I think historically speaking, if you look back, uh, didn't even have a full high school football experience due to COVID. So there is some work that needs to be made up on the back end there. So we're not ruling him out potentially being the quarterback of the future, but if it was even close, I feel like they probably would have gone with him just because they just pulled him in as a transfer from Baylor. And you'd have to worry about given that he's the younger upside guy, you know, him wanting to get out immediately just because of that. I think that's probably a lot of the reason that we didn't figure out that Grant Wells was the starting quarterback until today when the whispers out of camp over the course of months and months and months and everything that's been reported formally made it sound like, Grant Wells was always significantly ahead in that battle. So can Grant Wells be better with better weapons, hopefully better protection in an extra year in the scheme? Yeah. I don't think we're necessarily doomed to another year of the exact same performance that Grant Wells gave us. But at this point, as a Virginia Tech fan, you have to hope that the story here is at least somewhat centered around Grant Wells' improvement and not another camp where Grant Wells, at the level he was last year, when last year he was, despite the shortcomings, definitively considered by the coaching staff the best quarterback option in the room. By default. You have to hope that this isn't a case of we missed on the guy that we brought in and that we're essentially stuck in this situation. Yeah. Uh, time will tell, and it'll tell pretty shortly on that one. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if he's bad, either the leash is extremely short or drones certainly isn't who at least the fans thought he was. And you'd have to think at least the coaching staff too, uh, you know, when they brought him in in December. Is this a case of, some fans having way too high of expectations for Kyron drones coming in. I think everybody wanted something better than what we saw last year. Right. Like, and that's not too much to ask. Right. And it's not. And Wells was, Wells was bad. I mean, he was terrible last year. He didn't have a lot of help either though. I, my take on this all summer you know, when you look at the transfers that Pry brought in and, you know, you just think naturally the offense, you know, another year in the system for all the players that were already on the roster. You know, my take on this all summer was that, like, the floor of the offense, I thought, had been raised just because I think there is infinitely more skill position talent than there was last year. I just think there's way, 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 way more skill position talent than there was a year ago. Like, Caleb Smith was the number one receiver. He's probably a third or fourth best receiver on a decent ACC team. And that's something against Caleb Smith. He, he was great last year. Um, but like last year, you know, the Hokies didn't have an Allie Jennings type receiver on the roster, right? They didn't really have a Jalen Lane type receiver Felton, you know, coming over as well. Didn't have those type of guys on the roster last year. So like, I just think the receiver room got better. Bashal Tootin has been an accomplished running back, right? Um, let's see how he adapts to life in the ACC. Malachi Thomas getting healthy. 
but all that stuff is kind of moot if the offensive line doesn't play better, right? And I just don't think Wells had a lot to work with last year, but I also don't think he has this like amazing ceiling either. You know, he had his his solid mix of good and bad at Marshall. There was certainly more good at Marshall than what he showed a year ago at Virginia Tech, and I don't think the competition Marshall's playing is too much different than what Virginia Tech was playing in like for like a majority of their ACC schedule last year, to be honest with you. So I, is it like that Wells regressed that much or is it a, a, you know, is it a symptom of the fact just like the team around him wasn't very good offensively. And I think, you know, Wells didn't play well individually. The team didn't play well offensively. Um, I think to answer Ricky, your original question here, the fan base just wants something different because what they saw out of Wells last year was so terrible. And I think when you look at drones, the athlete, right. And Andrew brought up a really good point with, you know, the COVID year in high school. Right. And then Baylor, he didn't really take a lot of significant snaps. He's taken like less than 15 snaps in his college career. Um, This is not a kid that has played a lot of college football. So I think for pry, I think the safer move is put the guy out there with more experience. Now, the one thing I will say, and this is a mistake I made a few years ago that I'm not going to make again, is that, you know, Justin Fuente brought in Ryan Willis, right, in 19, and he played Willis early because Willis had more experience. And he didn't go to Hooker until October. And Hooker was kind of the same position Drones was in, right? high upside kid, a lot of raw talent, hadn't played much college football. Hooker came in and gave the team a real spark on offense. If this offense is real stale under Wells early in the year, and we're going to find out quick, right? Like the old dominion game tech should be fine. Should be fine. Right. At home should be fine. But like Purdue's coming in in week two, and it's a big 10 opponent with, you know, a new coach and a new quarterback and a, and a rebuilt roster and a rebuilt, co- you know, new coaching staff, all that stuff. You're one situation. That's a good measuring stick game for a rebuilding program. Like, are you going to win some of those 50-50 games against Power 5 competition? You know, how does Wells look early in that game? How's he look, you know, coming off of the Old Dominion game? Maybe he, maybe he plays just okay against Old Dominion, right? And maybe he doesn't look great early against Purdue. Does Pry go to drones? Like, at what point does drones play? I mean, Price said you're going to see both quarterbacks. I kind of believe that kind of don't. Um, I saw a tweet from Sam Jesse from Sons of Saturday mentioned this. He said, you know, that sounds like somebody who wants his opponents to prepare for a running quarterback, which I think is a fair point. Like how much of, of drones are we actually going to see week to week? I think we'll find out some of those answers pretty quickly. But I think this is the move that probably made the most sense for Pry. But you know, if if they need if the offense needs a spark, I don't think Pry should hesitate in in going with a kid in drones that's exciting and athletic, and you know, could provide the offense spark potentially off the bench. You cannot lose to Old Dominion. You no. cannot lose to no, Old no, Dominion. No, no. no. and Can't. regardless of overall ceiling and athletic ability and all that stuff. Are you going to throw out the guy who threw, who has, I, I think you were a little bit low on that, Mike. Drones has 
23 career attempts, almost none of which meaningful in meaningful moments in games. Are you going to throw the guy who had injuries throughout the off season, new to the system, very little college experience. Like we mentioned before, a little bit of a lag on his development because of outside factors. Or are you going to throw in the guy who has been a starter for now three years, second year in your system? Uh, obviously wasn't great last year, but it's the devil you know versus the devil you don't. Because you can't start Kyron Drones and pull him at halftime. Right. You can't. You can, my turn, per- you can turn to him. You, you can turn to him. You can't start him and pull him as a young young quarterback. That's tough with a veteran behind him that's played a lot. That's that's a tough, tough move. Yeah. Especially if you, wanna, if you see him as a quarterback in the future. If you want to kill his confidence, that's what you could do. Yeah. Now, my prediction here would be if things are looking really bad. I mean, if we lose to ODU, anything's possible. I don't envision that happening. If things were to look really bad against Purdue and Rutgers, maybe you turn to him against Marshall. If you don't do that, the earliest you're probably turning to him is against Wake Forest October 14th. I was going to say mid-October. You're fresh off getting waxed by FSU. You don't want to kill Drone's confidence by putting him out there against FSU for the first time. And you have Wake, uh, you know, a a team historically, at least recently historically known for uh, lax defense, high-flying offense. Uh, And then Syracuse, Louisville, Boston College, NC State, Virginia. At that point, again, assuming that things went bad to the point of that, and you're already now again thinking about the future, uh, that makes a lot of sense, in my opinion. I'm not saying that will happen. Uh, I'm kind of with you, Mike. I think that, you know, I, I it's not very likely that we walk away from this like, wow, Grant Wells was an entirely different player. Like, what a stud. Third team all ACC. Like, that's not that's probably not going to happen. But the chances that he will at least be a better quarterback than he was last year are relatively high. And you could, in theory, win some football games with him, even at the level he was last year. So, you know, it's possible. Rick, your thoughts? After last season, I think Brent Pry's main goal, hopefully, out of the transfer portal was to find a starting quarterback. Grant Wells, even with the issues around him, was not a positive force in the offense. That was nice, Ricky. That was a nice way of putting it. Um, Very nice. So. It's like, would we have taken someone else? Yes. So getting, getting Kyron drones the thought process should have been that I'm getting Kyron drones to start. And with a full off season in the system, in the weight room, in the meeting rooms, Kyron should be ready to go week one. That's obviously not the case. And I hate to say it, 
kind of called this one. Kyron, Kyron Drones was not a sufficient enough addition, in my opinion, in the transfer portal this winter. Virginia Tech, in my opinion, could not afford to start Grant Wells again this year. Now, do I think Wells is probably the best guy in the room? Yes. I, I, I do believe that he's probably the best guy in the room. He's def- certainly the most experienced. And therefore, given the guys that are on the roster, he probably should start. Um, but I don't think this was a good enough uh, – or I, I don't think the situation was handled correctly by Brent Bryan and his team. I both think of you they can... should – go ahead, Andrew. No, I'd want both of you to answer this. Lie detector test with Tyler Bowen in December. Do you think he thought that it was a, a pretty sure thing that – your drones was going to be the guy that was going to start week one against Old Dominion? Or do you think they always knew in their heart of hearts that this might be a little more of a long-term project than the fans might have wanted to believe? Mm. I don't know. I mean, if if they thought that Kyron was going to be a long-term play, then there should have been another opt, another guy brought in. I, 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 really agree with, I agree with that. I, yeah, I agree with I, that. I don't think Virginia Tech could have afforded, given the issues that this offense has, to go into this year with Grant Wells as the leading guy in the room. And if you think that Kyron Drones is going to be great in 2024, then fantastic. I'm glad there was a spot for him. But they they should have been more aggressive attacking the portal. There were guys that were out there. I don't know how many of them would consider Virginia Tech. That's a separate discussion. But they could have gone after someone with some, at least some legitimate on-field experience, even if it was at the lower level, that could have provided some more competition for a guy that had the same interceptions last year to touchdowns and was one of the lowest-graded quarterbacks per pro football focus last year in FBS. Yeah. So, I mean, so, I mean, I don't think that getting Kyron drones and someone else is a theoretical option. Why not? Given the, re- given the realities. Like I say, so if what you're arguing is they should have gone out and gotten like a, a plug and play, right? Like Brandon Armstrong's a plug and play at NC state. Hartman. Uh, Hartman's a plug and play at Notre Dame. Like, you know, that he's coming in to start. Uh, and to an extent, like, I suppose, we never knew that. And I think that if drones was a plug and play, Grant Wells would have stopped going to school here after spring practice. Yeah. Like Grant Wells felt Grant Wells felt good about his chances. So, yeah, I mean, you're, you're right, Ricky, but. Okay. But, but does that, does that allow the coaching staff to get off the hook? No, I mean, it, it doesn't allow them to get off the hook. They should have. So essentially it's just they didn't like we're <laughs> i'm acknowledging because i i think that like i said would we have taken a different quarterback last year than grant wells yeah like i i don't i don't think anyone is denying that the average level power five starting quarterback would have been a, a solid upgrade from what we got out of grant wells last year uh but apparently they were unable to attract anyone but it, you know, it's also one of those chicken before the egg situations, right? Like part of the reason that you can excuse to, like you can make excuses for Grant Wells 
is because of the lack of the talent that he had around him, both on the offensive line and on the outside. And people who are plug and play starting quarterbacks in the transfer portal, because most of the time, if you're at the caliber where you're a starting quarterback in college football, you're probably going to stay where you're at because you know you're the starting quarterback there. Like I, people who are good enough to start generally aren't feeling some sort of magnetic attraction to Virginia Tech when at that point in December, when the quarterback decisions in the transfer portal are being made, like it was like, we hope we can get Caleb Smith back. Yeah, I see it differently. Like, I think Pry came in, looked at the roster, thought this was going to take some time. The transfer portal helps in that you can address areas of need in a rebuild more quickly than, you know, you could have in the past, right? Um, now transfers don't need to sit out for a year. Then, when, then in addition to that, you know, there's you know, the fact that you can just plug them in right away and play. I think Pry looked at the roster, though, coming in last year and thought, this is going to take some time. Because while you can address some areas of need in the transfer portal, the one thing you can't always address adequately across the board at every single position is depth. I mean, we're still, we're going to talk about some positions on the offense where depth is still an issue, right? Like, I'm pretty concerned about the offensive line. We'll talk about tight end a little bit because we got some big news there today. I'm concerned about tight end in terms of the ability to block the opponent right on the other side of the ball. I'm concerned about that. As it pertains to quarterback, I think it makes more sense for Pry, if he's in the quarterback market, to kind of just continue to keep an eye towards the future. Now, does that mean that he shouldn't pursue a veteran quarterback that could push Wells? Absolutely not. He absolutely should have. I think the staff probably failed there. But I think when you bring in Kyron Drones, I don't think that that's a we're planning to have him start right now move. I think that's a we're building for the 2024 roster, the 2025 roster, which realistically, I know a lot of people think Virginia Tech's going to be like a six, seven, eight win team this year. I think Tech could get to a bowl game, but like, I don't think it's a guarantee. Like, I still think there's plenty of, of questions on this roster starting a quarterback. Then there's offensive line. Then, because you have one or two injuries on the line, like, this group gets young quickly. We're still not sure if this team really knows how to win games yet, right? And I'm talking about, like, being mature enough to win games. Not having the talent, because I think Tech has certainly upped the talent around Grant Wells. But just, like, having the maturity to win football games, to close out games. You can point to a handful of games last year where that was the case, but the one that really sticks out to me is that NC State loss towards the end of the year. NC State was a better team. They were playing with a backup quarterback because Devin Leary got hurt. Like There was an opportunity there to win that football game against a freshman quarterback and MJ Morris. You had them on the ropes at home. Can't close them out. Like, Can you win some of those types of games this year? Like, th Those are like legitimate questions for me. And I think those are some questions that and and that that's a coaching thing, but I think as far as the talent's concerned, like I still think the coaching staff is taking the long view. They haven't said anything in the media to suggest otherwise. It's always been about a couple of years from now, right? Or we're going to build this thing the right way. It might take a little bit of time. We're going to do this the right way. And they're winning as far as the messaging off the field, in my opinion. 
in terms of how they are recruiting, I, I think they're they're you know kind of continuing to push that message forward, right? That you know we're going to get back and and Virginia is going to be really important, and we're going to recruit some of the top kids in the state and get into some competitions with some big time schools and win a handful of those. And I think Pry and his staff have proven early on they can do they can do that, right? The first full recruiting cycle as head coach, he's won some of those battles in state. So I I do believe he's building the thing the right way. He doesn't have a ton of wins to show for it yet. Hopefully there's, of course, more than three wins this year. But I think as far as the drones, Wells competition is concerned and like who they brought in, who they didn't. I'm not sure they were ever sure drones was going to come in and be the starter right away. And to Ricky's point, like, I do think they should have addressed that in the portal. But the fact that they didn't and they brought drones in wasn't really too alarming for me, only because I don't think the goal this this season, like this season right here, was to be like not eight, nine, ten win ACC championship good. I think the ceiling is certainly higher than it was a year ago. I think the floor has been raised for sure. But there are just a lot of questions about this team still from a depth standpoint. You can't address all those in the transfer portal. I think what Pry and his staff are hoping for is the Allie Jennings edition, the Bayshell Tootin edition, like the, you know, Jalen Lane, the Quan Felton, some of the guys they brought in on defense. Like, I think the hope is that this is a good bridge year team to get competitive in some ball games in conference and put a more competitive product on the field. Whether or not that's enough to make a bowl game, we'll see. But just show some progress in year two. I think this is a good bridge roster, but it's not a finished product. I think Pry knows that. And I think if you're trying to just build some success and show the fan base that you're able to win some football games, right? Kind of match your message off the field in terms of recruiting and stuff like that. I think it makes sense to at least start the year with Wells. And all that to say... I do think he's probably the, the best quarterback on the roster. And if he's not, I think we're going to find out pretty quickly. It's going to come down to the eye test, I think, for this fan base, right? This season. I'm, you know, six wins under Justin Fuente obviously, you know, felt like a disappointment. Coming from where we are right now, six wins would feel like there's something building, right? Like it's somewhat of a breath of fresh air. It wouldn't be great, but I think that, and, and we've experienced it at various times at the end of the Fuente era. And obviously we experienced it uh, in what was hopefully a bottoming out last season, but through it all, even in some of the down years under Beamer, you never really felt like, turning on a Virginia Tech football game was a waste of time, that it wasn't something worth getting excited over on a Saturday afternoon. And at times last year, it felt like that. And at times in Fuente's final year, it felt like that. It felt like that a little bit at times in 2018. That team had heart, though, uh, you know, put it together. I don't know. The... That 2018 team didn't have much heart at all. We can talk a little bit about maybe the 19 team. No, the 19 team had a lot of heart. The 19 team was actually good. The 19 team. Uh, they were good after they suffered the worst loss in school history at home. But yeah. Well, that, and, 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 yeah. And that's where you can make the compelling argument, right? Like to Mike's point, like, I don't think this team's ceiling is that high one way or the other. So starting out with the safe guy might not be the worst idea in the world. Whereas with the 19 team, 
you know, it took getting select by Duke to go to this kid who obviously was better. <laughs> and, you know, Ryan Willis might have had a stronger arm, but at the end of the day, obviously that was the wrong decision. They continued to make the wrong decision uh, around one member of the offensive personnel that uh, probably did them in a big way. And now that young man plays for the Lions. Uh, but with that being said, you just want to see overall team improvement. And having a steady hand in there in the beginning might not be the worst idea in the world. Now, I don't know, the first four games are going to tell a lot of the story of what we're going to see out of this team, right? Obviously, Old Dominion, you want to just hit him in the mouth right off the bat. That's not projected to be a very good football team, even at their level. They were not last year, and they still beat us. <laughs> so it is what it is. But Purdue coaching change down year, uh, expected there. A lot of new personnel. Rutgers is Rutgers. Marshall, it's like not a lock win, but it's a game that Virginia Tech in an ideal world should win. And I think what fans want to see is Virginia Tech winning the games that Virginia Tech should be winning again. Something that hasn't been able to be said in in quite some time. So I, I maybe going with the steady hand early on, prevent the embarrassment. And, and then we'll I mean, we'll see. You know, maybe he's playing well to the season that, you know, maybe the gap between Wells and Drones isn't that big. And as offensive line injuries inevitably probably happen, the mobility might play a little bit more to your advantage at that point in the season than it did early on. Who knows? But, I mean, it's it's the expected outcome. I don't think that uh, anyone who's heard anything that's coming out of that place in the last, what, basically the entire time would say, I really think that drones is going to be the guy they're going to tap for this thing. It's going to be interesting. That's what I will say. Cause I don't, I don't, I really, I really don't know what to expect because my, my, I, I've said this, I don't want to keep like ham, like rehashing the same point, but like, I think we know what the ceiling of Grant Wells is. I think the ceiling is what he did at Marshall before he got to Virginia Tech, which was okay. But I don't think he's all of a sudden going to stop throwing interceptions now that the skill position talent around him got better. I think he'll complete more passes, though. <laughs> like, I think his receivers will separate a little bit better. I, I think that, you know, he'll have some more playmakers at his disposal. That helps any quarterback. I think his numbers will be better. If he takes care of the football, I think he'll be fine. I think he'll be like a elevated floor quarterback. I think he'll be fine. I'm not in the business of thinking that like Grant Wells is going to go out and outwardly win us a lot of football games by himself. The 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 key factor which will separate the Grant Wells from a year ago versus the Grant Wells this year is what what is he doing to make sure that you're not losing the football game, right? Is he limiting those mis- those kind of mistakes? Is he turning the football over a ton, or is he taking care of the ball? Is he, you know, putting the offense into the right into the right place, right? The line of scrimmage, 
if he's got that freedom, which I assume he had last year, but he definitely will have his second year as a starter in the offense. Like, is he putting the offense in position to succeed at the line of scrimmage? Like those, those are types of things that we need Grant Wells to do well, right? We can't have him turn the ball over. Can't have him losing you games. Doesn't, doesn't need to win a lot of games on his own. Has to do a lot to not lose him though. Like that's, that's going to be a key step in his development and making sure the the floor is raised. Cause I think the defense will play well enough. There's playmakers in the secondary. The linebacking core, I think is good enough. Virginia tech's got some answers on the interior defensive line. I think the defense will be fine, but the offense just needs to be so much better than it was a year ago. And so much better than it was a year ago. Doesn't mean like they gotta be a top 50 offense. But can you be like a top 85 or 90 offense, which seems absurd. But Tech was the worst offense in the Power Five last year. They were worse than Iowa. They were one of the one of the seven or eight worst offenses in the entire country last year. So don't finish in like the the mid 120s. <laughs> finish like 30 or 40 spots higher, and I think that's probably good for a win or two, right? Maybe you win five games. Yeah, which, which just shows some progress, right? Like, I would love to see Virginia Tech make a bowl game. I would love to see them be competitive and like real competitive against Florida State and stuff like that. But in reality, I think what's reasonable in year two is win more of the 50 50 games, right? Any win, the of games, them. win the games you're supposed to win and then win some of the 50 50 ones and then be competitive in a game or two where you're not necessarily supposed to be like you're not the favorite and there's a tough game that you're playing and maybe nobody's expecting a lot out of you. Florida State's like low-hanging fruit, but how about like NC State? I know you get that game late in the year at home, but like NC State I think is going to feel a pretty good team this year. Like be competitive in that game. I'm not sure there's many games on this schedule that Virginia Tech should win. Like that aren't that aren't toss-ups. Yeah, I mean, I think Old Dominion. The only be, one I can think UVA. of is, is ODU. ODU and UVA. UVA is going to be ass. They're going to be so bad. <laughs> Old Dominion and UVA. Seriously, like the two in-state games are the are the ones, in my opinion, that are like, I don't I see. Would, even, though, even though Rutgers should be pretty bad, I think Rutgers is still a toss-up. Well, Shiano's a competent coach. It, well, maybe not so much in round, in round two, but that game is on the road in New Jersey, so I think that that plays a role in it. The Purdue game, obvious toss-up. As bad as Syracuse is probably going to be this year, that's probably a toss-up. Um, Virginia Tech will not be favored in probably all the other games. They may not be favored. I, I know. Louisville, I know. Florida State, Wake, NC State. Marshall's they, they not going to be, be an easy game either, by the way. Correct. Huntington, I, 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 don't think. I have Marshall as a toss-up game. Yeah. With Marshall, you essentially have a regional rivalry where Virginia Tech might have better talent, but that's going to be the Marshall gap Super isn't Bowl. that huge. The gap isn't that huge, mm-hmm. and on top of it, Virginia Tech has everything to lose. It's their Super Bowl, their home crowd. I bet you, you know with any limited exposure that I have to Marshall, 
it's not going to be a situation where the Virginia Tech fans are coming out across the border and invading that place. Grant Wells, X school, like yeah. Have, have you guys seen those seen games the, get weird? The weight guys, is on the shoulders, but have it's you guys what you seen get. The Marshall schedule. I have not. This is one of the lamest schedules of all time. <laughs> like they're playing Virginia Tech. I mean, they've got they've got Tech and NC State, sure. But there's a bunch of programs on here that nobody cares about. U Albany, Georgia State, Georgia Southern, South Alabama, Arkansas State. It's a conference, baby. Yeah. What do you, what, do you what, what record do you think Virginia Tech would have with that schedule? <laughs> they'd they'd win. Uh, I would maybe, say definitively. Maybe win. they get. Well, I'm not going to spoil my pick for for next week when we actually record our season preview, but they definitively win win like four or five games in that, <laughs> that schedule. There's a lot more locks on Marshall's schedule for Virginia Tech. Yeah, the Virginia Tech's own schedule. That One being, of, that being said, though, like you go back to the Virginia Tech schedule and like, yeah, you might only have locks at the beginning and the end. Outside looking in, maybe and who knows? Like it's such an unknown commodity, you don't know how it's going to mesh. Right, so maybe they'll be better than we think they are. I'm not gonna make the mistake of assuming the best possible case scenario and just saying those are wins, but not a whole lot of world beaters. You know, Florida State will be a loss for sure. Pitt always feels a tough team. Louisville looks good. NC State looks good. UVA, Boston College, Syracuse, even Wake. I mean, you'd have to hope the gap between Virginia Tech and Pitt isn't so otherworldly that it's not a question. I mean, Virginia Tech was in that game last year for three quarters. Yep. Uh, you know, Marshall Rutgers and Purdue. Like, there should be an opportunity to win five, six games. You'd hope. Yeah. Yeah. They, I think they'll have the opportunities. It's just a matter of whether or not they can close, kind of going back to Mike's point. Um, but transitioning away from the quarterback stuff, I mean, we hit enough on the supporting cast being a little bit better this year than it was last year. But I think all three of us have some pretty severe reservations about this offense. Mike, what is your biggest reservation about this offense that doesn't include the quarterback? Depth of the offensive line. Um. Because I, I just don't know that the starters are all that good. Yeah. Right. So Parker Clements has been a giant question mark pretty much his entire career. Um, I do. So let, let me talk about what I like about the offensive line first. I do like Caden more at center. I like Braylon more. I think those two could be pretty good. We're starting a Juco transfer in Bob Schick at right guard. We're starting Xavier Chaplin at left tackle. Chaplin's an unknown. He could end up being very good. He's young. Could be good. I'm concerned about Parker Clements at right tackle. And my concern with him is his health. And when he's healthy, what is his ceiling? That's my concern. Second biggest concern as it pertains to the offensive line is what if Xavier Chaplin struggles or what if Xavier Chaplin gets hurt? If that happens, you're probably kicking Parker Clements to left tackle because he's got the most experience of, of the tackles on the offensive line. You're probably kicking him to left tackle. 
what do you do at right tackle, right? Um, is it a Brody Meadows? Is it someone else? Like, who's who's playing right tackle? You kicking Bob Schick out there and moving somebody else inside to guard? Like, what's what's the game plan there? You have um, to figure that Jack Hollifield is probably among that group to slide in, but he's not a tackle, so he would have to play interior. Yeah, so you kick in, you kick in Meadow, you kick in maybe Meadows outside. You know, somebody who's been mentioned is in the mix. You kick in him the right tackle. You move in, you know, Hollifield to guard, which I think is where he's been playing the most uh, or practicing the most. So, I mean, Johnny, those are the Johnny Dixon, probably Johnny Garrett. I mean, Brody Meadows, all three of those guys are young guys with very little experience. So, yeah. Yeah. So- the- that's a concern is, is the offense that, that, that was a concern last year. And it's still, and even if they stay healthy to kind of to your, your point that you touched on, it's still a, a concern. Well, yeah. And I've seen, you know, p- people are talking about, Oh, the scheme, you know, there's now a scheme change on the offensive line with Ron Crook as the new offensive line coach versus Joe Rudolph, you know, who departed, you know, maybe a scheme change helps in terms of how the offensive line is coached up. Maybe that'll be a better fit for what tech's trying to do offensively. But like, I don't know, man, I, I, some of that might be, I think some of that's a little bit overrated. Like Rudolph's really, Rudolph's a really good offensive line coach and he's been good everywhere he's been. I anticipate he'll be good in South Bend too. And the fact there's a reason he landed there. That's my, that's been my argument from the start. There's a reason why he ended up at Notre Dame, right? He went from Wisconsin. He to didn't Blacksburg. go to, to Texas State or uh, Akron, right? Like, right. I think people who I think the fans who say, and and that's not to say that Joe Rudolph should be without blame for how the offensive line played last year. Sure, but I also it's, it's the same argument we have about Wells. Like Rudolph didn't have a lot to work with last year either up front and i think if it was more coaching than personnel i don't think he would have gotten the job at notre dame so that's that's my thought on that um ron crook's got a lot of experience he's been around the block i think he'll be good i think he'll be a good offensive line coach for virginia tech that's not really my concern my concern remains the personnel like you can only you can only coach him up so well, you know, look at Saban's first couple Alabama teams. You can only coach him up so well, guys. Like you don't just walk in and, you know, are you saying that not even Nick Saban could succeed with these sandbags tied around his ankles? I, be- I believe that's what a source told a- Andrea Adelson. Um, yeah. I offensive line is offensive line is a concern. The starters, the depth, uh, change in coaching. There's just a lot of questions up front. And if, hey, look, I will say this though: if the offensive line is leaps and bounds better than it was a year ago, I don't think it will be. But but let's say it, let's play it out and say that it is. Virginia Tech's absolutely making a bowl game. If the offensive line is like leaps and bounds better than it was a year ago, they're absolutely making a bowl game. The skill position talent's too good. And Wells, I talked about like elevating the floor, right? The raising the floor. Your floor is only going to be so bad. We saw what he did at Marshall. And if the offensive line's better and the skill position talent's a lot better, they're probably going to run the football better. And he's probably going to have more success throwing the ball through the air. 
I think Tech absolutely makes a bowl game if the offensive line is a cohesive unit and rather than being a weakness on the team, actually becomes one of the strengths. I think that's the biggest indication that this thing's headed in the right direction is the offensive line play. I really do. Andrew? So, I mean, to echo basically Mike's point, which I would otherwise have been my point, but I'm not going to say the exact same thing, but I'll add uh, the offensive line is the the heart of any football team, right? I mean, we saw last year with a team like Boston College, where they had Zay Flowers, they had Phil Jakovic, you know, talent, first round talent on the outside, and they were terrible. You don't have anyone to block, quarterback doesn't have any time, it's, it's over. So yeah, like, what is most likely to tank the season is either the guys that they're throwing out there in the first place aren't good, or maybe they're passable or good and then injuries pile up and you're as strong as your weakest link and teams will game plan around that weakest link and find a way to expose you. And it doesn't matter who you have running on the outside because last year, Virginia Tech's offensive line wasn't good, but they were healthy. We never had to learn what it would have been like to turn in multiple positions to that second string guy, but college players could always improve. So hopefully we see that and that the injury bug doesn't bite them too hard. Now, otherwise, I mean, I, I think it's all about chemistry, right? I mean, that's what I would worry about. Um, the reality is that the AP poll is usually pretty accurate in determining from the beginning of the season who's going to be good. Not always, because they do rank Miami every year. But generally, the formula of returning production, like the more knowns you have that have shown you that they've done something before, the more likely that that success will be repeated. And I think last year, a lot of us got into the trap. We all obviously overpredicted Virginia Tech's uh, win totals with the thought process of like, Hopefully, we don't know anything about this team, but can't be that bad. It should work out. <laughs> like, what if it doesn't? Stone Snyder comes in as an SCS All-American, and he can't break into the three-deep, so he quits the team. This is not a bag on all FCS All-Americans, but that is what happened. So I, it, it's hard for me to know that and then tell you that for certain, Felton and Tootin are going to be the guys to save this team immediately. I don't worry too much about Ollie Jennings. And I think Jalen Lane should be pretty good. He came up in big moments for Middle Tennessee and Rick Stockstill last year. One of the most well-run programs. <laughs> There's the plug. We love it. But... You know, it, it is what it is. It's a bunch of unknowns. I think that you have maybe one sure thing there. Uh, and then you have a big question across the offensive line. So the ceiling theoretically is pretty high. But you really only have to imagine a couple things going wrong to get to the point where 
five wins starts to look like a little bit more of a challenge than we might have otherwise thought. Now, college players can improve. They do. And Virginia Tech was probably playing a lot of players last season that weren't necessarily ready. I think it's probably says more about the improvement of the players around him than it says about Lofton that we're now listing him as the ninth guy on the depth chart for wide receiver. That seems like a positive, but not for him, but not for him, but for the team (laughs) as a whole and like the offensive weapons, I think it has to be an upgrade. The question is how much of an upgrade is it? Mm -hmm. Are we moving from one twentieth to one tenth, one Oh fifth, or can we maybe breach getting close to being a top half of overall FBS offensively. If we can get to close to top half of overall FBS offensively, pick your telling statistic. I think the talent that they have on defense is good enough that this team can win a number of games that Virginia Tech fans can walk away from this season feeling good about the direction that this thing is heading in. But not that much has to go wrong for you to feel the wrong way about it. And we don't know really anything about the chemistry and cohesiveness of a unit that has really never played together at the skill positions. So the uncertainty of it all is what worries me, Ricky. Yeah, that's a fair point that even though they did bring in all of these transfer additions, Wells hasn't thrown any of those guys. Those guys haven't played together. They haven't played in this offense. So I think that's definitely a fair point. I guess I would I would definitely agree with Mike that the the offensive line is the scariest part of this offense. But rather than belabor that point, how are we feeling about tight end now that Nick Gallo was out for at least an extended period of time and potentially the rest of the season? concerning i i i'm concerned about virginia tech's ability to block he wasn't he didn't grade out very well as a run blocker last year does it really matter like he was the best blocker in the tight end room is there anybody like is there anybody else we think is going to step up from a i'm going to stick somebody across from me like, is there anybody that we feel is in that room right now that's going to do that? And Nick Gallo rank, rated I, at 36.3 per pro football focus as a run blocker last year. It wasn't good, and he was probably their best one. I have some concerns about that. This this is this is an extension of the offensive line. I know Virginia Tech is going to use and then I mean, we saw Gallo play last year. We know what kind of tight end he was. He wasn't lining up on the outside, right? He wasn't lining up. It wasn't like the old Bucky Hodges situation, right? Daquan Wright isn't a guy who you're going to put at the end of the line of scrimmage yeah, on the other side of a tackle and have him block somebody for four quarters. That's not his role. Like, that's not how he was used last year. Do we think that's how he's going to be used as a sophomore? I just don't see it. I mean, I just don't see it. So... I mean, if he wasn't listed to start, it was probably because of 
inadequacy at, at just that. Yeah. Right. Because I think that at least from what we've seen, he, he seems to be more prolific offensive weapon. Yeah. And I think he's going to continue to be that, you know, and I, I think the, you know, with Pry and Bowen talking about how much they want to establish the run. It's pretty clear Gallo is going to get a lot of snaps, not to say Daquan Wright wouldn't play a lot or play alongside Gallo, right? Or maybe split out in the same, you know, he'd be out there in the same in the same package. I'm not saying that we saw a lot of Daquan Wright last year, and I think Daquan Wright was going to play a lot this year, regardless of whether or not Gallo was healthy. I just think they're two differently, two totally different roles. Like Gallo's a traditional tight end, right? It's kind of that hybrid player. I'm concerned about Virginia Tech's ability to block in those packages where they need a tight end tight to a line of scrimmage, like in a traditional do we you know, 11 personnel situation. Do we think that because of the lack of depth at tight end, Virginia Tech goes to more of a spread attack this year on offense? Well, that, that I was just about to ask you guys the same question and even more overarching. Like, I feel like there's been some sort of admission that maybe last year they weren't running the offense that best fit their personnel. But are we confident that this year's personnel, where you seem to have added mostly most of the major talent additions that you've made around the outside? Yeah. Like, does, that, that doesn't really – so are we running a different offense now? Are we going to adjust to that? Do they feel differently about it? Do they feel better about this year's offensive line than they did about last year's offensive line to – be able to get a push to set Virginia Tech up for, you know, second and less than eight. <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah, it seems like they should do a bit more three and four receiver sets on offense. And I know that that's not really what Tyler Bowen wants to do, but that is the strength of your team. And getting those guys snaps and getting those guys on the field seems like a lot better of a play than maybe relying on a Harrison St. Germain or a Daquan Wright to have to pick up a significant amount of the blocking duties at tight end. I mean, they've got the three transfers. Steven Gosnell is the fourth receiver. There's other guys at the position that I think we'll probably see a little bit, bit this year, Tucker Holloway being one of them. Uh, Xavion Turner Bradshaw is another name that I've heard so far in camp um they've got some guys at receiver that 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 and running back are probably the two deepest positions on offense not probably i think they are and it seems like putting the as many of those guys on the field may not be the worst idea considering they don't have a tailor-made replacement for nick gallo yeah one of the issues here, right, is for Pry in the regime, you, you're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place of wanting to establish and display what you want this to look like and what you're trying to accomplish. And then in your ideal world in the long run, here's what it'll be. And then you also have to win football games in the short term. The Fuente regime had the advantage of the most talented offense and defense that they ever had right there from the beginning. So right when they got there, they could show 
what this looks like if it looks good. And, you know, it was that with Gerard Evans and it was that in 2017 when, you know, they were able to win football games even with a freshman in Josh Jackson wasn't necessarily a, a world-beating quarterback. And for Pry, you know, you have the opposite, right? You come in with the cover bear, you know that the nature of the beast that is the industry that you work in, like, you hope for patience. But if there's no improvement in the short term, you're going to get chewed up and eaten alive. And that's the balance that they have to make. I think that the sense of urgency in year two and just another for what essentially this staff is, where everyone is about as senior as they've ever been at any point in their career. And having a year under your belt of that will hopefully naturally encourage better decision-making. But I I think that we're going to see a sacrifice of identity in favor of winning football games if it comes to it at various points throughout the season. And I think the weakness in the tight end room is the first real test that they face in that regard. Before a game has even been played. Before a game has even been played. Yeah, and part of being the offensive coordinator is putting your guys in position to succeed and adjusting your offense to the personnel that you have. Um, Before we wrap up the offense stuff and move on, give me the one player you're most excited to watch on offense this year. Malachi Thomas. I think he's healthy. He is... (laughs) He's the heaviest he's ever been weight-wise, which, you know, sounds like a bad thing. It's a good thing in his case. Yeah, he's Um, always been a little skinny. He's always been on the skinny side. Even though he runs tough. And he runs tough, so I think that'll benefit him. I'm hoping it keeps him healthier. Um, When he's been on the field, he's been a difference maker. When he's been on the field healthy. Um. I'm most excited to see him play. I, I mean, you know, I think if he has a good year, it's probably a really good sign about a lot of things. It's a good sign about the offensive line. It's a good sign about the balance of the offense. It's a good sign that he's just healthy because I think he's proven he can be a, a really good playmaker. Um, And I, I think it's, you know, him and Bashel Tootin bring a little bit something different to the table. Like, Tootin's a more in-between-the-tackles runner. Not that Thomas is not, but... And Thomas is a tough runner, but, you know, one can be the power back. And then, you know, you look at Thomas and what he's good at. You know, I think it could be a really effective backfield. And that that's not to say that guys like Bryce Duke or Chance Black won't get in the mix as well. Like, there are other guys in that room that are going to play. And maybe Bryce Duke's playing more special teams. That's where we saw him a year ago. He's, you know, more of a return man. That's fine. But, you know, I think Malachi Thomas, a healthy version of him, would be really, really good for the Virginia Tech offense. So he's my guy. Andrew, who are you most looking forward to watching this year? I mean, I I hate to give you like a non-answer, right? But like, it's really hard to pick. Because like I mentioned before, there's so much unknown 
here. It's like you're watching an almost entirely different team. Like if you were to ask a Buffalo Bills fan, what player are you most excited to watch this year? It's all the same players from last year. Oh, I guess I'm excited to watch Josh Allen be good again. Now, okay, all right. A- so, so here's the deal. This isn't in Milwaukee, right? This isn't the presidential debate. <laughs> you can't dodge the question. You got to give me an answer. Give me one player. Give me one name. Grant Wells. Oh, hell geez. yeah, hell yeah, <laughs> baby. All right. I know. I, 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 legitim- <laughs> I legitimately want to know because I have rehearsed the excuse for Grant Wells in my head that it's tough to be a quarterback throwing to receivers that aren't beating the DBs. So you're throwing into tight windows with no time. Yeah, I do feel like that would make things difficult. Yeah, yeah. that would make things difficult. Assuming. Made things difficult on Tom Brady. Yeah, it did. So we're assuming that the weapons on the outside and there's massive questions as to how good they will be, but hopefully they'll all be better than what we saw last year unit-wise. That should be indicated by the number two from last year now being number nine. So how much does Grant Wells take a step forward? Because ultimately he's the quarterback of this football team. He guides the offense. He touches the ball in every play. He's still here, and he's starting. For at least a couple weeks. Prove it time. For at least a couple weeks. <laughs> For at least a couple but, weeks. Yeah. But isn't sure. that the most interesting storyline? I mean, maybe Mike's right, and he probably is. The storyline is how good is the offensive line and who gets hurt? That probably tells the entire story of the season. But at least from Old Dominion to Rutgers, assuming that the bottom doesn't fall out injury-wise, Grant Wells has the opportunity to prove himself to a lot of people that have been serious doubters. You can look at the comments on the internet today. He was just named starting quarterback. The fan base in general doesn't have a ton of faith in this guy. They don't necessarily have a reason to have faith in this guy. But the coaching staff clearly believes he is the best option at quarterback. I want to see what that looks like, at least early on. Is this a situation where... The coaching staff is completely wrong and we're turning to drones. Is this a situation where like they're going with the safe guy and we'll make the turn in the middle of the season? Is this a situation where you know, Grant Wells is the best option in this room and we'll see him, you know, in Charlottesville, Virginia on November 25th? I don't know. So I, I think that's the most interesting storyline for me to watch on this offense. The excuses should be done and let's see what the kid looks like. So yeah, Grant Wells. So two guys come to mind, but because this isn't the presidential debate, I'm going to give you one. Just give, give us me both. both. I want both. Give us All right, both. Well, I'm going to start with the main one. Mike, you already said his name, Chance Black. I think he is one of the most, if not the most athletic backs in the room. He's versatile. I think he's a good runner. He showed the ability to catch balls out of the backfield. He brings something to this offense that this offense has not had in years. This offense has not had a viable pass catching back in a pretty long time. I think that Chance Black could be that guy. I have no idea if he's going to get the chance to prove it. He does have Basil Tootin ahead of him. Malachi Thomas may be ahead of him. Bryce Duke has shown a little bit of what Chance Black has shown. But I think Chance Black is the best athlete in that room, and I'm going to go with him. 
as the person I'm most excited to watch. Next one is Jalen Lane. Virginia Tech hasn't had that kind of top-end speed at receiver in quite some time either. Virginia Tech could desperately benefit from someone who can break defenses off the top. And if Grant Wells gets a little bit of time, Jalen Lane is going to be, be open at least a few times this year. And one would hope that he's able to break some big games open with his feet running down the field, whether it be through the seam, busting up a zone, or beating guys in man-to-man coverage. Especially because uh, presumably opposing defense is going to be, have to be game planning for Jennings too. Well, that so. and J- Jalen Lane is coming from – just he's an incredibly coached athlete coming from middle Tennessee. Yeah, he is. And couldn't have said it better myself. I mean, Andrew and, is wearing Ricky. What, I don't mean to cut you off, but Andrew is wearing some middle Tennessee state blue tonight. He is. Just and you know, this is Ricky. This is a hell's point golf club polo. Oh God. Hell. You went to hell's point a few years ago. Very um, narrow. I'm sorry for your loss. All right, let's move on to conference realignment. Um, I think we've hit on everything on the offense, right? I think we're all good. I, I think we've uh, hit all the I points. would say over under 0.5 meaningful moment jet sweeps for Colbeck is something I'm also watching for. <laughs> look, man, Cole, look, I, I, I'm, I, I'm glad he's getting a chance to play football. He's a good kid. Matthew Slater. Boy, right. If he can just be that, if he can just be the Matthew Slater of this team, I'm fine with it. That's a great role for him. He's fast as hell. They can teach him to be a little bit more physical. I think he'll be great in that role. Let's just stick him in that role and not worry about getting him the ball. I don't know, bro. I was at Bill Brown Stadium in 2017 when he was setting all those rushing records at Blacksburg High School. Look, man, it's Blacksburg High School. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> As someone who freelanced covering uh, Southwest Virginia football, it ain't all that great. Telling you now, James Mitchell was an anomaly. Okay, that guy was that guy was otherworldly related to the guys he was playing. Big Stone Gap. Yeah, all I'm telling you is, Rich Lands is taking state this year. I don't care. I can't express to you how much I don't care. Right, I heard enough about. Up. I heard enough about Richlands when I was a damn student, and uh, a guy in my class who some of you may follow on Twitter, Ryan Die. I just mentioned his name, Rick. Was... I just missed that a second ago. I said oh, Ryan Die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ryan Die stand up. Ryan Die stand up. Yeah, yeah. Ryan, Ryan is the biggest Richlands stand. Sorry, Richlands. I think it. I think they get mad if you say Richlands. Richlands Stan I have ever met. But I'm here to tell you right now, we don't care. So we're going to move on. Brady Hess would have something to say about Ryan being the biggest Richlands Stan. But and that's look, neither I, here and nor look I love Brady. Brady. Brady's a great guy. Another dude I was in class with a lot. And if he wants to fight Ryan for that moniker, have at it. We don't care. <laughs> All right. Um, Conference realignment is back in the news again. Uh, Mike, I'm going to let you take the lead on this. What's the latest as it looks for our potential friends out West? 
Stanford, Cal, SMU. Uh, this thing's pretty close. It's they. It sounds like they've gotten really into the weeds on this. They Sep- have, they're pretty far along in figuring out the details. This would bring in Ross Dallinger reported this from Yahoo. This would bring in about seventy-two million dollars to the ACC in terms of annual revenue. Um, SMU has said in negotiations, at least with the conference, in terms of being admitted, they've said that they don't need any part of the media rights money for the first seven years that they're in the ACC. Um, I that's what happens when. You have big money donors and kind of operate like P five. Uh, SMU's an attractive school to add to the ACC, and and just kind of where we're at, right? I, I think SMU adds a lot of value from a football standpoint. I think they would be a good add. Uh, Stanford and Cal saying that they would take, uh, they would kind of make concessions and not really take a ton of the media rights revenue themselves, would also be a benefit to the ACC as well. Um, adding them in and having them really just up the, I guess there was a clause in the grant of rights that uh, Dellinger noted that basically there's like these tier one, tier two, tier three, like television uh, contract pieces, right? (laughs) Within these deals. Share, yeah. Yeah, share. Or basically the ESPN has to pay uh, I think it was $24 million, something like that per school that would be like considered a tier one school. All three of these additions would be tier one additions, I guess, which is how you get to, you know, the 70 plus million dollars that would be brought into the ACC. Is that enough to entice a Florida state, a Clemson to stay if they kind of redo the revenue sharing in the conference? That That's the interesting part to me anyway, because I think SMU saying we're not going to take any money for seven years sets up an interesting precedent, right? Yes. If you're going to yes. redo the revenue model in the, in the conference, because Florida State has been calling very publicly for the larger brands in the ACC to get more of a share and for SMU to enter the conference and say, we don't want any of the money for seven years. I understand why SMU is in a position to do that with their big money donors. Some other schools in the ACC may not and obviously would not necessarily be willing to take a step back. But I think that when you're bringing more money into the conference via the TV broadcasting deal with a long grant of rights and you're considering kind of changing the revenue structure a little bit for the schools in the conference in terms of bringing in a Stanford, Cal, and SMU, right? You're kind of talking about how you're going to get them a piece of revenue eventually and how SMU is going to sit out. I think it sets an interesting precedent because I think if you wanted to say, hey, Clemson, hey, Florida State, you guys are making college football playoff appearances and really upping the profile of the conference. We want you to get a little bit more of a cut of this TV money. I think Florida State and Clemson would be more open to staying. Um it's too early to tell if this is eventually going to be good or bad news for the ACC. Uh, but, you know, if Cal and Stanford and SMU are members beginning in 2024, what we do know is Florida State is going to be in the conference for through at least 2024. They they were an existing member conference in the ACC, um, existing member in the ACC, and 
they had until August 15th to formally say, hey, we're going to leave. Yeah. Uh, following 2024, you know, at the beginning of 2024, that deadline came and went, and they're still a member of the ACC. So, so, so really quick, I'm, I'm reading this from Ross's report on Yahoo, which you should go read if you have not yet read it. Uh, he says, quote, the ACC would stand earn about $72 million in new money, which Mike mentioned with the three expansion, expansion shares. Cal and Stanford have agreed to take about 30% of the $24 million share, which is roughly 7 to $10 million. After Cal and Stanford share and travel costs are offset, which is roughly one to two million per school, the ACC stands to earn at least thirty million in revenue to redistribute, likely through an incentive pool based on athletic success. Okay, so, so that's thirty million a year that they have to now distribute amongst what fourteen schools? Incentive pool based on athletic success. Hmm. Let's think through that a little bit. Clemson, Florida State. I'm just thinking of the schools who have said we don't necessarily want Cal, Stanford, and SMU in the conference, right? That was North Carolina, NC State, Florida State, and Clemson, right? I think so. All four of those teams are considered to be teams that could be pretty good this year, right? On paper? Yeah. I I have plenty of questions about North Carolina, but for sake of this argument, for sure. I mean, they have, they have one of the best quarterbacks in the country. So, I mean, they have an, they obviously have an opportunity to be pretty good. Um, incentive based on athletic success, man, that sets up really well for Clemson and Florida State in particular, doesn't it? The in, quote, the incentives are expected to be heavily weighted towards football success, mm-hmm. including such things as winning championships, final top 25 rankings, and bowl assignments. If that is not a method to try to appease a disgruntled school that may or may not be really fucking good at football. I don't know what is right. Yeah, absolutely. I'm talking specifically about Clemson, but maybe a little bit louder Florida state who has an opportunity to be really good this year as well. Andrew. Ricky, uh, I I believe it was you on the last podcast that you guys recorded. Talked about how this was a incredibly painfully slow death for the ACC. I thought that was a good description because for me as a lifelong fan of the ACC, family went to Virginia Tech, dad went to Duke, obviously went to Virginia Tech myself. I grew up watching this conference and it's sad to see the current state of affairs, you know, probably as a result of decisions that were made years ago without any sense of foresight. Does adding Clemson, SMU, you know, Cal Berkeley changed the equation that it's a matter of when for the ACC rather than if. I don't I, think I, I don't, don't think, think so. Does. I don't think it does. I maybe it delays the inevitable. I mean, adding adding some I mean not not like incredibly large but not insignificant revenue to some of your bigger programs that are clamoring for more money that will certainly work in the short term. But as we've said many times on this podcast, that grant of rights is only going to be as strong as the lawyer defending it in court. And if, if Florida state is somehow able to find a way to break it, or if they just say, screw it, we're going to pay the exit fee. 
that will be kind of the death knell for the conference. Like that'll be like the actual beginning of the end. Well, we might be looking at the beginning of the end right now. We have, I don't know that we've quite got there, but it does feel like this conference is really struggling. And I don't think that adding two subpar athletic departments on the football side and one maybe average to above average athletic department, and I'm referring to SMU there, simply because they have the financial backing and they care about football. Adding those three programs to the conference, to me, does not talk about long, does not reek of sustainability. It reeks of desperation. Yeah, I don't know if it, I don't know if it. I'm not saying that it's not the best decision in the moment. If you can get SMU to join with a zero distribution at the start and you can get Cal and Stanford to join heavily discount with a heavily discounted distribution from the start. That's a whole hell of a lot better than the alternative, which is making them full members, right? This is, so this it, is different. This is different from last. This is where things got different from last week, where we had the discussion of, you can't just do something for the sake of doing something. Yeah. This is, this is different because the financial ramifications, or I guess in this case, the financial benefits, right? Ramifications is a word that tends to have a negative connotation to it. The financial benefits, I think, are there for the ACC in terms of we adding said, these three schools in this current environment that we're in. We said when discussing this that the devil was in the details, and it was going to be dependent on what kind of agreement they set up with those three schools, plus what what specifics of their deal with ESPN would allow them to get more money from ESPN. And if they're able to get this much money, even though it's not like the silver bullet, it seems better than not, not adding them at all. You are right. A hundred percent. Obviously you're not going to turn away more money. You know, you could make the counter argument. I, I read an article in the athletic uh, the other week where essentially Rutgers joining the Big Ten has not been a major financial win for them, just given the circumstances and the travel and the fact that there's, you know, more than just one sport that we play within these conferences. It's not just football. You know, the volleyball team's got to tra- you know, travel to Nebraska to play Nebraska, and now they're going to have to travel to UCLA. So that's another factor to consider. I get the more money argument, but at, at the same time, like you just said, Ricky, it, it may just be delaying the inevitable. I mean, Mike, I know you have ample experience consulting in your life. If you were consulting for the Virginia Tech Athletic Department, and let's just say we wake up tomorrow, Cal, Stanford, SMU, they'll be in the ACC in 2024. Are you consulting with Babcock? to be dedicating any less of his time to plotting a potential exit strategy for Virginia tech. No, you got to be prepared. Like, but, but not only do you have to be prepared, but you need to be proactive on the same, you know, by the same token, Virginia tech is not going to be the first school to leave. Correct. In that scenario. Right. Um, you can only be so prepared in that as it stands right now, 
schools are going to have to pay an exorbitant exit fee to leave given the grant of right situation. And Virginia Tech isn't in a spot currently at present where it would be very easy for them to leave. I think another school that has more money flowing in, like a Florida state, has got more resources dedicated to trying to actively look for a new home, is going to have to set precedent. Virginia Tech's not going to be the school to set precedent in leaving the ACC. They're not in a position on the football field right now with their success level to do so. They're not in a position from a monetary standpoint to do so. Like somebody's got to successfully find their way out of the grant of rights first before Virginia Tech could actually like carry out an exit plan if they want to be one of the schools to dip and be proactive. There's only you only can be so prepared. There's things you can do, right? In terms of like ideally where would our best fit be and things of that nature. But there's going to have to be some sort of precedent set first because right now that grant of rights is really restrictive. And if it wasn't restrictive like it was supposed to be, Florida State would have left the conference already. Well, Virginia Tech doesn't need to be the school to blow things up, right? And they're not going to be. Virginia Tech worked very hard to get in this conference, this conference as it exists. And if it were to be sustainable, it would be a great fit for Virginia Tech. But Ricky, I like the word you used before proactive i think that the entire mess that virginia tech has found themselves in i think the andrea adelson article would reflect that in detail is that virginia tech as an athletic department has a documented history of being reactive rather than proactive And when you're reactive, it means you're already behind the eight ball. That's where Virginia Tech finds themselves right now. So if the inevitable is coming, the thought process and the plan for the university, the athletic department, as much as it pains me to say as a a guy who, you know, for my ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th, all the way through 18th birthday, got a trip to the ACC tournament. And that was the best thing that ever happened to me every single year, year over year. You know, you you don't want to be the guy riding the horse and buggy when the cars are passing you by. Because that's how you end up in a worst possible case scenario. That's how you end up like our friends over at Cal and Stanford are right now today, scraping together ideas of how to remain financially sustainable and relevant as an overall yeah. athletic program. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're relying on a former president and former, I believe secretary of state to get them into the ACC. <laughs> I'd listen to Condi. Yeah. She could probably be pretty persuasive. She's just compelling. Um, ultimately, I don't know if it, I don't know if this move will happen. It sounds like it's probably trending in that direction, but we'll have to wait and see if it is official. I don't know what the earliest date they could join would be. I Part of me thinks it may be too late in the process for them to join next year, but 
maybe they can swing that. I'm not quite sure. Circumstantially, I mean, there's not going to be a Pac-12 next year, right? So yeah, yeah. I, I guess mean, if you don't, if you allow them in, but don't be, allow them in next year, it's what independent for a year for them. Yeah. Speaking of independence, there is something quite rich about Jack Swarbrick going on Dan Patrick's radio show and talking about how important it is to get Cal and Stanford in a conference while Notre Dame continues to scoff at joining a conference. Well, if anyone wants to give Virginia Tech their own like NBC contract, uh, then yeah, it seems like a good idea. But I did think it was interesting that Swarbrick said that Notre Dame would join a conference if they did not have a television partner. Yes, so the I'm football, tell, that NBC deal. That the NBC independence deal is, is only gigantic. so valuable to them. They, they they like to get on their their soapbox and tell us how awesome it is being an independent football. It's all about money. It's all but about money. If if they had to jump ship because NBC decided they didn't care about college football anymore, they'd be in the Big Ten in a heartbeat. Yep. It's NBC contract used to pay for their entire. Because we all department. know, even though Swarbrick wouldn't say it when he was asked what conference would Notre Dame join if they had to join one, there ain't a chance in hell Notre Dame is joining the ACC right now. They're not latching their boat to that nope. thinking ship. Not a chance. They'll be independent as long as NBC will have them. Yep. Or until we get to our inevitable, so you know this might be 20 years down the line or 10 years down the line or what have you, when it's just a super league. That, see, and, and that's the other thing that Swarbrick did mention, if they don't have a chance to compete for a national championship, which it would not shock me if that's where we're at in, like you said, Andrew, 15, 20 years. If if you're not in the club, which the club would be the SEC and the Big Ten, sorry, but you're SOL. But, I mean, odd comparison, Right. But if you look at professional soccer overseas, when they proposed that Super League and the fans revolted because they placed value in tradition, is that, is that not going to happen? I mean, we've been, the fans have been sitting idly by watching all this stuff happen for the last 20 years. So I can't say with any confidence that we wouldn't do it again. Um, Mike's over there falling asleep. So let's go ahead and get this ready to wrap up. Still awake. And- Still any awake. last words for uh any last words for the people there, Mr. McDaniel? Nope. Season preview coming. Yep. We've got it ready to go. Well, I shouldn't say that. We will have it ready to go here soon. Uh TBD if we'll have a special guest or not. I had I, I had someone I reached out to and he has not responded, which made me sad. Uh Andrew, got anything else for the people in your return to the hangover? It's good to be back. Uh, another classic episode of this podcast where I look at the clock and say, wow, <laughs> you know, that went for a <laughs> significantly longer time than we initially anticipated. But year five, season five, Hokie Hangover. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? So, uh, yeah, it's good to be back. And, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. This is where you want to tune in. So, Hit the subscribe button. Keep on listening all season long. You know, for the people who have been with us since day one, you know 
<laughs> we can make things interesting. We pull no, no punches. Matter, no matter how frustrating this season might be, we're going to have some fun. Yeah. That's, that's for damn sure. It's uh, a couple guys with similar interests, but differing perspective who get along pretty well going after it. It's a fun yep. podcast. I'm glad we started it. Yep. Uh, rate, review, subscribe. As always, make sure you follow Andrew at Andrew Radio, Mike McDaniel at Mike McDaniel SI, and me at Ricky LeBlue. I'll be having uh, my season preview, uh, my personal one coming out on my Substack for free. Nine, nine wins coming out soon. That's uh, what I no, asked him. That's nine, what I asked him. Nine wins will not be in the forecast this year. I can promise you that. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, thanks for listening. If you made it this far, we appreciate it. We'll see you next week. And as always, go Hokies. Mm-hmm.